So we're continuing our sermon series, Drawing Near, focused on some different prayers in the Bible. And tonight we're going to read a story about Jacob, part of which is a prayer. But we're going to do things a little bit out of our usual order tonight. Usually we read the text at the very beginning of this time and then go from there. But I want you to have some more background than maybe you have at the front of your mind about Jacob. So I'm going to do my first sermon point before the text and then we'll read Genesis 32. So we're going to start by talking a little bit about how Jacob has always been grabbing after other people's heels. Jacob was someone who was always grabbing after other people's heels. We used to have a family friend, though maybe it'd be more accurate to call him a family acquaintance, and we'll just call him Al. And Al, for as long as I can remember, has always been looking for the next scheme. He always always had something going on that was going to lead to the next thing that was going to lead to the next thing that was going to make him fabulously wealthy. And I remember once after Al got married for the first time, he was giving us a tour of this great big house that he and his new wife had bought. And from the way he described it, he and his wife were basically investment partners. Neither of them could afford this great place on their own, but they got together, they bought it together, and he talked about all the problems the house had, and he showed us how he was fixing them, or at least covering them over so you couldn't see them right away, and he just kept talking about all these wonderful dreams that he had, and he had this great plan, it was a great neighborhood, the real estate prices were going to skyrocket in the next couple years, everything was going to be great. He even had this great scheme with the renovations that he was doing that he wouldn't have to pay property taxes for three to five years. He had a plan. And that was always Al. He was always grasping after the next scheme, always thinking ahead to the next big thing. But somehow the plans never quite worked out how he thought. You can guess how a marriage goes when it starts out as, hey, let's be investment partners and get married as part of it. And you can also probably guess what the government thinks of schemes so you don't have to pay property taxes. Not not real popular. So the last time I'd met Al, he'd moved overseas chasing after a great job offer and maybe still avoiding taxes. And he was still working all the angles and always grabbing after the next thing. Now for all of Jacob's life up to the text that we're going to read tonight, this was who he was. He was a heel grabber. He was always grabbing after something else, always grabbing after what someone else had, always trying to get ahead. Jacob was a trickster, a fake, a con artist, a rascal. He tricked his own twin, his own brother Esau, out of his birthright. He tricked his poor old father out of giving him a blessing that was meant for Esau. And then he had to run away to live with his uncle Laban because his father and his brother weren't real happy with him. And Laban and Jacob took turns tricking each other out of all kinds of things. Laban tricked Jacob into marrying the wrong person. Jacob tricked his uncle out of some flocks and herds. It went back and forth and back and forth. And Jacob basically ended up running away from Laban because he was scared of the guy. And then at the beginning of Genesis chapter 32, Jacob's headed back home with all the stuff that he's collected and his two wives and all his family And he hears that his twin brother Esau is headed his way with hundreds of armed men. So Jacob, being who he is, he schemes up a plan to send the flocks and herds first and give gifts to Esau and send his family in front of him. And finally, he's going to come last. And he hopes that by the time he gets to Esau, Esau is going to be happy. Or at least that he's going to hear the commotion if Esau causes trouble and Jacob's going to manage to save his own skin. This is Jacob. 
the grabber after other people's heels, the trickster. So now let's read our text for tonight. We'll read Genesis chapter 32, and we'll read verses 22 to 32. Genesis 32, verses 22 to 32. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two maidservants, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. So in the story that we read for today, the Lord finally gets hold of Jacob. The Lord finally gets hold of Jacob. After Jacob sent all his possessions and his family and all his servants away, he's left alone. And this man comes and he grabs hold of him. The text isn't real clear at the beginning who this man is or where he comes from or what he wants or what he's trying to do to Jacob. So from Jacob's perspective, this is just one more person he has to fight with. This is just one more struggle he has to enter into, just one more time he has to scheme or trick or fight his way out of a difficult situation to get what he wants. But this man is different than anyone else that Jacob has ever encountered. Jacob has tricked Esau and Isaac and Laban. He's been running and scheming and grasping after others' heels, But that's not going to work this time. As the story unfolds, it turns out that this man is sent from the Lord, so Jacob is somehow wrestling with God here. And commentators disagree about exactly who this man is. Is he an angel who's a messenger of the Lord? Is he in some sense Jesus Christ pre-incarnate? We're not quite sure of the identity of this man but we are sure that he's a representative of God and that he acts and speaks for God. So in Jacob's interactions with this man in this text, he's interacting with God. And some people read this text as if Jacob's gone out and he's found God and he's wrestled with him and Jacob fights and fights and he's this hero who manages to wrestle God into submission. And if that's the story of this text, then the application is that we need to go and we need to pound on God and we need to struggle and struggle and beat God into submission to get what we want. But that's actually, it's actually backwards. It's backwards of how our prayers should work and it's backwards of what actually happens in this text. In this story, Jacob is not the aggressor. 
Jacob doesn't go out and find this man and start the fight. Instead, the Lord comes and grabs hold of Jacob. The Lord is the one who starts this wrestling match. This is God coming to wrestle with Jacob, not vice versa. And it's significant here that God comes and God starts to wrestle with Jacob instead of fighting in some other way. There's a scene from the classic movie, A Princess Bride, that might help us kind of get the dynamic here. In that scene, you might have seen the movie, but if not, Physic, a giant of a man, seven feet tall or a bit taller, probably weighs 400 pounds, and his boss tells him to kill this mysterious man in black who has the not-so-mysterious name, Wesley. So they square up to fight, and Physic starts taking these massive punches at this guy who's just nothing compared to him. He swings and he swings, and one blow from this giant would kill a man. One blow, but Wesley keeps dodging. Punch, punch, but he can't get Wesley to engage. He can't knock him out. But then Wesley gets behind this giant. He jumps up, and he gets his arms around his neck, and he gets a good hold on it. And now... Now they're locked in a wrestling match, and the giant can't get away. He tries to pull Wesley's arms off. He tries to knock Wesley off in some different ways, but he can't get away. So this huge giant of a man can't get away from this average guy, and he ends up passing out, and Wesley gets on with his quest. And later in the movie, they get together, and they're all friends, so it's a happy ending. If you're fighting with punches, if you're throwing punches, you can dodge, you can run away. But if someone comes and they grab hold of you, you don't have a choice anymore. If someone comes to wrestle with you, you're stuck. To get away, you have to wrestle back. To defeat them, you have to wrestle back. You can't get away from this encounter. So in this story, Jacob can't get away. His options are gone. All he can do is wrestle with the Lord. And so Jacob and the Lord wrestle on and on. And it seems like this match goes on probably for a few hours. Now, if you're thinking about this, there's probably an obvious question at this point. The Lord is wrestling with Jacob. The Lord is wrestling with a human being. One commentator that I read this week posed the question this way. So if a mouse wanted to come and wrestle with an elephant... Would the elephant be troubled by it? Not so much. And you can guess how that wrestling match would end, right? The mouse and the elephant, and the elephant goes, and the mouse is done. The Lord wrestling with Jacob is even more ridiculous than an elephant wrestling with a mouse. The Lord could squash Jacob anytime he wants to. The power imbalance here is enormous. And yet, And yet the Lord lowers himself to Jacob's level and he comes down to wrestle with him. God has been chasing after Jacob for his whole life and now he finally comes to grips with him. Jacob has been running and running and running and scheming and scheming and scheming and finally in this text, the Lord grabs hold of him and doesn't let him go. In our lives, too, the Lord more often comes to us than we go to him. We like to run our little schemes. We like to figure things out on our own. We grab and we flail after other plans. And even in our prayers, often, we're really just scheming about how we can get God to give us what 
we want. But God comes to us even in our scheming, and he reforms us. As Genesis 32 continues, the Lord cripples Jacob. The Lord makes a cripple out of Jacob in this divinely initiated wrestling match. Now, Jacob is obviously a strong, smart man. He's depended on his own strength. He's gotten away with a lot of schemes, and things have usually worked out for him. So he won't give up. He wrestles with God on and on and on. Decade after decade, the Lord has been pursuing Jacob. He's been trying to get something across to Jacob, and Jacob has never been willing to hear it. And this whole time, what the Lord has been trying to get across to Jacob is just blessings. Just blessings. But Jacob can't see it. He is so locked into all of his schemes that he can't ever stop and see what God is trying to do. And so the man and Jacob, they wrestle and they wrestle and they wrestle. And the man sees, the Lord sees that Jacob isn't going to give up. And so finally he touches Jacob's hip and Jacob's hip is wrenched. And the way this text reads, this isn't about the strength of the wrestlers. It's not like this man does some special move or does some crazy strong thing. It's almost a supernatural touch. It reads like it's kind of a light glancing blow that somehow mysteriously pops Jacob's hip out of socket. And now Jacob's crippled. When you're wrestling, your pivot point is usually your hip joint. So if your hip joint goes out, you have lost. If your hip joint goes out, you can't stand up anymore. You certainly have no strength to keep fighting. So after Jacob's hip goes out, if he lets go, he's going to fall over. He can't stand on his own anymore. So now all Jacob can do is cling on to this other man. Instead of wrestling, all he can do is hang on. His choice is to hang on or fall over. And then the man tells him at this point, let go. Now that Jacob is crippled, now that Jacob can't stand up on his own, the man looks at him and says, let go. Now you can read this text as if Jacob has overpowered the other guy and the man is begging to be let go. But I think what's actually going on there is this guy is telling Jacob, you've lost. You've lost. Let go if you can. But Jacob knows if he lets go, he's going to fall over and lose. And somewhere in that moment, as he's clinging on for dear life, Jacob seems to realize something of what's going on. And so he keeps clinging on, and finally he asks for a blessing. Finally, when he has nothing left of his own strength, when he is finished, finally he asks for a blessing. And this is where the Lord has been trying to get Jacob for his whole life, ready to receive what the Lord has to give. The Lord will do what he needs to do in our lives to get us to give up our own schemes. The Lord will do what he has to do to get us ready to receive the blessings that he has in mind for us. And sometimes that means he has to grab hold of us. Sometimes it means he has to be kind of rough on us. Now, this doesn't explain all the hard things that happen in our life, but sometimes I think God does send hard things our way to get our attention, 
to remind us that God has a greater plan that we do to break through all our scheming and our small limited vision and to get us to hold on to God and to finally start having that real conversation with him. Our brokenness gets us so twisted up sometimes that we can't even ask for the right things. Our brokenness and our schemes get us so mixed up that we can't even look to God and ask for what's best. But finally in this story, finally, Jacob realizes his dependence on God. When I would get slivers as a young kid, I'd usually just try to pull them out with my fingers. You know, I'd limp for a while if I had to. I'd hide the sliver. I'd keep working and working and working at it with just my fingers. We had tweezers in the house, but I knew if I went and I asked my mom for the tweezers, she'd get it out, she'd pull out the sliver. But the thing of it is that if she couldn't get it with the tweezers, she also had a needle. If the slivers was too deep in, if the sliver was too deep in for the tweezers, the needle would come out and my mom would go digging down in there and we'd get the sliver out, but it would hurt. That wasn't the plan that I wanted. So I would keep working it around for myself and it was only when I got really, really desperate that I would finally give in and go and ask my parents for help. So in this story, once he gets really desperate, Jacob finally gives in to God. Finally, he clings on to God and he says, I won't let go unless you bless me. Jacob was never stronger than God. The point of this wrestling match was never to figure out if God or Jacob was the one who would win the day. The goal was to get Jacob to realize the position that he was in, to realize the position that he had always been in. Jacob needed to give up on his own strength and his own schemes and turn to God. And that conversation that we read in this text between Jacob and the Lord is in the end fairly simple. The Lord gets Jacob's attention and finally gets him to realize that he can't win this fight. And then Jacob asks for a blessing. And the man asks for Jacob's name. And when Jacob says his name is Jacob, he's not just saying something about his name. He's saying something about his identity. Remember that Jacob means heel grasper, grabber, schemer, trickster, cheat, sinner. When Jacob says his name is Jacob, he's admitting who he's been. He's admitting that he's always done things the wrong way. He's admitting that he's broken and that he's guilty before God. In our conversations with God, we need to recognize our dependence on Him, and we also need to acknowledge our brokenness. A genuine prayer life is always going to involve a strong, strong sense that we depend on God for everything. And a genuine prayer life is also going to include confession. It's going to include us admitting to God that, yes, this is who I am. All the brokenness, all the mistakes, all the ugliness, all the crazy schemes, all of that has been me. Confession is one of the most important parts of prayer. And before God, all our masks come off anyway. He can see through all our, preten all our pretenses. But we need to admit this to ourselves and to God too. We are broken. We have all done wrong over and over and over again. 
and in our prayers, in our conversations with God, we have to admit our brokenness. And we have to recognize that only God can truly bless us. Just like Jacob, we have to realize our dependence on God before the Lord can really bless us. And so we cling to God and we ask him to bless us. And then when we do that, when we go to the Lord and we confess and we admit that we're broken and we say, God, give me what you want to give me. Give me what I need. The Lord gives us more than we could ever expect. In this story, the Lord gives a whole new identity to Jacob. The Lord says, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you've struggled with God and with men and have overcome. From heel grabber to one who struggles with God. From grasper to one who grabs hold of God. At this point, Jacob has finally achieved the victory he's been looking for all his life, but only because he's, let, or he's been defeated by the Lord. And after the Lord breaks Jacob down and gets him to admit who he is, then the Lord gives him a new name. And again, this isn't just about the name. It's about the identity and about the reality. Jacob came that night as a schemer and a trickster, but Israel, Israel left as a transformed person, as someone who finally could admit his dependence and his brokenness, and as someone who could finally accept God's plan, not his own schemes. Israel walked away from that encounter with a limp, but he was more whole than he had ever been before. The Lord practiced a severe mercy with this guy. He chased Jacob down. He grabbed hold of him. He crippled him. And then once Jacob finally realizes his dependence on the Lord, the Lord can transform him. Jacob schemes all his working and his messing with his family and all these dumb things that he'd done. They had actually benefited him in some ways. He'd gotten wealth. He'd gotten offspring. He'd gotten all kinds of good things, but he'd never had peace. He was always scared for his life and always running away from people who should have been the closest to him. But now finally, in this transformative moment, the Lord gives Jacob, gives Israel his peace. God doesn't always bring people to this extreme, but sometimes he does. If we always go to God with our own schemes and try to get God to validate what we want and just rubber stamp our plans, well, God will break us sometimes. God will put us in a situation where we have to realize that our plans are never good enough and that God's plans are always the best. And when we do that, God takes our old brokenness and he gives all of us a new identity. And we can only get that new identity because of what Jesus did. Jesus took on all our sin. He took on all our guilt. He took on our brokenness and he suffered and he died to get rid of it. In Jesus' work, all of that was done away with. But in our lives, we need to keep this pattern of laying down our own schemes and embracing God's will for our lives. In our prayers again and again, we need to confess to God that we have done wrong, that we are wrong people. I need to ask again and again for God to give us his blessing to make us holy and to make us whole. 
One writer on this passage in his conclusion said, the limp, the limp that Jacob has is the posture of the saint, walking not in physical strength, but in spiritual strength. In this story, the sun rises on a transformed man, physically broken, but spiritually whole. Jacob has lost his own strength, but he's gained the Lord's strength, and he's transformed. And so for us, for each of us, how is God wrestling with us? In what ways, at what points in your life has God come and grabbed hold of you? And how can I, how can you, how can all of us lay down our own schemes, confess our sins, confess our brokenness, and ask the Lord to do His will and to give us what He knows that we need? How is the Lord wrestling with you?